Welcome to another edition of Inside Analysis. I'm Peter White, and in this edition, we're examining the timely subject of how to pandemic-proof a portfolio. Our guest today is Damien Klassen, whose firm Nucleus Wealth manages around $100 million of superannuation and investment funds and accounts for individual Australians and SMSFs. Damien is one of the few fund managers in Australia who saw what was coming and liquidated risk assets from his clients' holdings in late January and early February. Needless to say, his clients had experienced stellar performance in the March quarter. How did he do it? Well, simply he undertook a deep dive and detailed study of the COVID phenomenon, and he could foresee what was coming. The combination of a likely pandemic, historically high stock valuations, and monetary authorities effectively out of bullets globally was a recipe for severe market falls, he believed. The two issues on our agenda today are, what stocks does someone who got it right invest in now in the eye of a global pandemic, and what shape recovery is he planning for? V, U, W, or even, heaven forbid, L. Damien, welcome to the podcast. First up, the big picture. How does one pandemic-proof a portfolio? Thanks for having me on. There's three different ways we look at stocks that are out there at the moment. One is the stocks that are basically going to be unaffected by the uh, by the pandemic. Your supermarkets, your um, software, some of your software companies, consumer pr- cleaning products, those types of sort of consumer staples that really are going to work regardless of whether there is a pandemic or there's not a pandemic, regardless of whether we find a cure tomorrow or whether it takes you know years of, of, of repeat. And so you want to have a, a pretty good solid core of those in your portfolio. What's a typical stock then? What would meet that criteria? Say something like Microsoft. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Microsoft's been a, a big holdings in our in our international portfolios and so they, yeah, that's been a, a great performer within that Coles or Woolworths have done you know their, their profits have, have certainly done quite well throughout this period we've got a number of a few others uh, international ones of a, of a similar type so I mean one, one that was actually probably struck us a little bit by surprise is how well they did was JM Smucker which is a, a huge US pet food company and so we were expecting pet food to hold up relatively well as being a consumer staple what we weren't expecting was and what we saw was that we actually had a whole bunch of people actually go out and, and, and get new pets. And so that, that's actually been an area where um, you know, profits are actually far higher than, than we would have expected in that area just because of the, the amount of people. And, and I guess spending a bit more time at home with your pets, you... Um, a black dog, not a black swan. Yeah, that's right. You know, spend a bit more time as well. And you, and you, want, you want to give a, a bit better food to the, uh, your pets and, and give them a little bit more. So yes, that was, that's another example. One of the ones we, we quite liked, but we've actually ended up selling down now just because it did so well over the period was, was Johnson & Johnson. So uh, most people sort of, I guess, have probably heard the heard of the brand in terms of baby powder, but they're actually a massive uh, healthcare fund right across a whole range of different areas. We almost think of them a bit like a, a health fund exchange traded fund. Not only do you get the healthcare within it, but you also get consumer products and and within healthcare there's there's some devices and then there's um you know all you go through all the each different segment and, and you're sort of basically getting some with with Johnson Johnson. They did really well, um, bounced back, and they're actually trading it. Or until recent days, they're trading at levels basically back to where they were prior to the crisis happening. Having said that, though, the stock's already priced in a pretty full recovery, and management's actually sort of come out, sort of talking about a, a V-shaped recovery and how all these things are going to bounce back quite quickly. And what we're worried about there is that you sort of price yourself so that if there is a V-shaped recovery, there's there's not a lot of upside. But you've got the downside of if it's not a V-shaped recovery and these things take a bit longer and you know elective surgeries get it put off and those types of things, then um, you know, that's the type of stock where we can see some downside. You're saying you had it, but you don't have it now. Yeah, that's right. So, and it's one we're happy to own, but it's a question about saying at the right price because there's these stocks where, yes, they're res- resilient to a pandemic, but there's stocks within that that have just got too expensive for what they are. 
that sort of moves me on to the beneficiaries because there's a there's a few stocks within that as well. So 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 what we're saying is that you've got a core in the portfolio of those ones which we think are, are relatively safe. There's a bunch of stocks that are beneficiaries. You know, a good example of those ones is your toilet paper manufacturers. Having said that, we don't think that's a lasting impact. So so you had this this big rush where everyone wanted to buy toilet paper, but toilet paper is not going off and it's sitting in people's houses and it just means eventually they don't have to buy as much. For something like that, we're expecting it, yes, it's a short-term benefit. And so we held stocks like, say, Kimberly Clark, but the longer-term outlook is that it's going to fade relatively quickly at those benefits. Whereas there might be some other ones like Essity, which is a large company in Sweden, and they're actually one of the big producers of hygiene goods to hospitals and to, to people as well. And so they're ones where we are expecting a longer-term positive in terms of you know more focus on that whole cleaning and more focus on hygiene within for, for quite some time, even, even, in, even when it passes. Another one that benefited a lot, but, but again, we've, we've tipped out because of price for this, is uh, Clorox, very huge brand in terms of bleach and household cleaning products. They're a bit like Band-Aid in terms of people talk about the, the product as being the actual market as opposed to um, just, just a brand name. I could be facetious and say they're a new wave injectable, but... Uh... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, a good company, um, nice solid industry. We bought it for, for that reason as we thought, well, you know, cleaning products is a, is a nice safe place to hide during the, uh, the pandemic. But it got pretty close to almost 30 times earnings. So you're basically looking at it's priced like a uh, like a technology stock. <laughs> and in the end, you know, their, their competitive advantage really is some marketing. The, the formula for bleach is, is relatively well known. It's not like it's a, it's a magic project product that nobody else has the formula to. And so it's a type of stock where we liked it, got us a lot of benefit out of it. The earnings are going to be great still for, for a number of years, but it's just not really the stock you want to be paying top dollar for. So, so we sort of used it to protect the portfolio over the last few months, but then have looked to, to tip it out as, as the prices have run up. And what about the ones that you are avoiding, the, the negative pandemic stocks? So... I've sort of, I probably won't go too much into the names for those ones because they're the ones which uh, I don't want to front run my own position. So they're, just, they're, they're the ones where we, we are, we do want to build up positions in these. We haven't started yet because we're not expecting a V-shaped recovery. Our view is it's going to go on for a fair bit longer and that it's not going to be a sudden bounce back. And so these are the stocks which we're not looking to buy yet and, unless they, they get to sort of levels that are just so cheap. We're saying, okay, well, at this price, we'll, we'll take it. There's a fair bit of nuance as well within this. So as soon as we start letting people out, they're going to bounce back a lot faster. So say restaurants and, and, and other things where people will start eating at those, maybe not at the same levels as before, but they'll start a lot sooner than say international travel. That was your first one to be shut down and, and it'll be the last one to turn, be turned back on. Last cab so, off the rank. <laughs> exactly. You need to keep those in mind in terms of saying, well, when do, I want to, when do I want to get in? Do I want to get in now, assuming it is going to be a V-shaped recovery and go out and buy airline stocks and international travel? Or do I want to wait a little bit longer, probably miss a little bit of the price upside, but get a little bit more certainty on it. Uh, oil is a big one for that one. So the big issue for oil is that producers are still out there producing as much as they can, and which is where we saw the negative oil prices. And demand is from international travel is going to be depressed for years, we think. And then demand for travel in countries, so sort of the, the usual spending, has been depressed. We, we expect it will probably bounce back to levels that are close to, to normal over a relatively quick period of time because we are expecting a lot more people to be travelling by private cars rather than taking public transport. This is the experience you've seen in, in, say, China. Having said that, China still, you know, a, a few months out of their, their shutdown, uh, traffic levels are still considerably below where they were prior. So, you know, oils, there's some interesting things there and certainly as the lower the oil price gets, the more attractive it becomes. But you know, it is an area where 
we think if you can price in and, 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 and look and say, okay, well, once we actually start seeing a little bit of supply taken out of the market and we're comfortable that if, if demand's fallen 10%, then these these stocks are attractive. Then yeah, that's that's where we we start to be interested in in buying some of those. But you're not rushing in yet. Absolutely not. No. Some of the other sectors in that space are. You've mentioned uh, hospitality. Yeah, uh, banks and and real estate. Uh, some of the others. So so your big issue with the banks, and that's obviously been that's been one of the sectors that's been hardest hit around the world, is coming back to these bad debts. So the U.S. Fed and a number of central banks have stepped in to try and help out bigger businesses and actually pump money into the corporate debt markets. So there's a certain element where people are saying, well, the Fed's got your back. You don't have to worry about bad debts because the Fed's pumping money into debt markets. But the issue is your local you know, corner shop or your or you know, specialty barber or, or whatever it is, they're not accessing international markets to get their debt. They're working on uh, you know, a loan from their bank. And, and it's the small and medium businesses, they're the ones we're most concerned about in terms of the ones that have been put out for this period and you have plenty of restaurants that, you know, they might have just spent up big for, to do a big fit out. They're relying on the, the volumes that, that we got before. And now they might be facing, say, 20% fewer customers for the next, for the next year or, or more. And they're the ones where as they go broke or as they decide that, you know, they, they can't afford to pay it, that's where the issue comes from the banks is that um, a buildup of those. And then any issues about the housing market, we're still quite concerned that the housing market could see that same spiral out of control. If you get enough, if you, it's sort of it's it's a little bit binary. If you don't get enough people going broke and and you get a, you get a bunch of backstops, then maybe the house, household will hold up and maybe only fall five or ten percent. But the more likely scenario we see is that you do get enough people unemployed who just have to sell their house, or enough people with with problems for developers with problems who can't sell the the properties they're building, and all of a sudden you get more and more properties coming onto the market. Nobody wanting to buy. Banks not that keen to lend much money, and you sort of get that whole spiral out of control and and a, and a bunch of bad debts appearing, and so that's why the bad debts on both the business front, small business, small and medium business front, and on the household front, you know, we've got to be quite concerned about that, and we'd be happy again just to 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 miss the bottom of the the, the cycle, but to to miss the, the the big tail risks as well. Well, let's put some alphabet soup on the table. You've mentioned V-shaped recoveries. It's sounding yep. to me that you're more of a U-shaped man, or uh, or maybe a W, or or as I said, heaven forbid, an L-shape. Well, what L-shape. what sort what sort of recovery are you planning on? I think long and slow. I think is is the answer. I think what what the central banks and governments did successfully in the first round of stimulus was get rid of the worst case scenarios. So the worst case scenarios of you know twenty percent of the population unemployed, no no backstops. Uh, and, and a whole spiraling out of control, companies not being able to access lending. So they've sort of taken away some of the worst cases. What they have done though, in doing so, is they've then, they've generally let people survive that probably should have gone broke as well. So these people are sort of overburdened with, with too much debt. And so we're, we're just expecting this real demand, um, a real problem with, with consumer demand in that we'll have both consumers not wanting to spend because they've seen friends and relatives go, you know, lose their jobs or they've lost their jobs themselves. And so they want to just build up some savings and so pay down their debt. So reluctance to spend there. Companies reluctant to spend in terms of capital expenditure. Again, it's that part about if you're a company that's product, say it's a, a, a manufacturer and now they're only operating at 80% of capacity because that's all the demand is that out there. Well, they're not going to rush out and buy a new factory or, or, or expand their, their, and, and, and need new employers. So if anything, they'll be pulling back on, on their spending. The whole property market, it's still very difficult for developers to get um, lending finance. 
And there's there looks like a lot of companies that have been working from home will work out that they actually don't need as much office space as what they've got. And maybe they can let everyone work from home a day a week or two days a week. And all of a sudden that's 20% or 40% less office space that's demanded. And so um, there's this whole lack of demand out there and we can't see a, um, an immediate solution to that, which is why we're looking for, you'd probably call it a U-shaped with a very, very long flat U. What the governments have successfully done so far is got rid of the worst case, the bottom, so it doesn't fall anywhere near as far, but we still think that the bounce back, you still need to bounce back, but, but it'll just take longer. Can you understand this sort of optimism that's around, Marcus? Is it, is it unreal to you? Or what, you've been in the market a long time. What do you make of uh, the, the Australian market going up the biggest in a week and the US market seem to be defying gravity? Is there a false sense of optimism around or are, 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 are you a Cassandra? Absolutely. Absolutely, um, absolutely. There's a false sense of optimism around. Um, well, I, like, I mean, Cassandra is. I like. I like the term Cassandra in that Cassandra was actually right all the time. Just nobody ever believed her. So you know, I, I knew I'm that. happy. <laughs> happy, to, <laughs> happy to be called Cassandra. That's that's no problems with that one. <laughs> Chicken Little, you'd prefer not to. I can understand the positivity in terms of hey, we've just taken away this big tail risk. So it was successful in terms of the whole world isn't going to you know lapse into into. Yeah, worse than the Great Depression and all that type of stuff. So that's, and central banks have been very fast and governments have been very fast. So that's, that's all been good. So you can see a reason for markets to be higher than they would have otherwise been on, on the basis of that. Having said that, though, it's, it's a question about what, had markets fallen far enough to start with? And the other thing is, is the robots and the whole, there's a lot of quantitative strategies out there. And we saw some dislocations when, when the prices started falling. We started to see some dislocations in, say, even the government bond markets where there was just some weird, some big people with highly leveraged portfolios were liquidating and sending prices in strange directions. We think a lot of the, a lot of the bounce has been taken higher by the whole robot trading. Like we just think there's, it's a much, much bigger feature today than what it was 10 years ago and certainly what it was 20 years ago where there's a lot of these algorithms out there that basically say they're pushing what might have been smaller trends even further. And so we saw that Christmas two years ago, where you know there's this massive dump and then and then rise again, and it was all very sudden. And we've seen how fast this this turn down's been. And we think a lot of it is to play with those the the algorithmic trading that's that's really pushing markets around just a little bit further than what they would have otherwise done. So so maybe on the downside, we might not have fallen as fast. It might have only fallen twenty percent, and might have only bounced five percent, and then and then resumed its downward trend. Whereas now, in the first iteration, we've we've fallen thirty percent, and then bounced back twenty percent, and and now it seems as if we're drifting back down again. We like to look at the valuation side and to say, um, you know, valuations are, are still very very high on the Australian market and, and the U.S. market as well. You've basically never been able to buy the U.S. market this expensive except during the tech boom on a forward earnings. And it's presumably it's the forward earnings that worries you. Exactly. That's the one that's, that's fading away. So a number of companies will hold up, but there are a lot of companies out there that we do have concerns about their earnings. And just that whole, um, we, we, don't, we think that companies as well are going to be a lot more cautious going forward. So, so a lot of people spend a lot of money on increasing their debt and paying out uh, shareholder buybacks and, and, in, and increasing gearing. We're not expecting that to be a feature going forward. We're expecting companies are actually going to be busy trying to pay down their debt because they've seen companies like, Virgin fall over and other ones there, so so that sort of takes away from your earnings. Uh, we're expecting earnings to be taken away because you've got um, 
people are going to be wanting to make their supply chains a bit longer, so wanting to put a bit more fat into their supply chains. We're expecting that you're going to have corporates trying to repatriate supply chains from China, so try not to focus all in one area. And even if it's not China, you know, it might just be more spreading it out or making it a bit closer. And so that generally is going to be mean there's that's going to be more expensive for it's going to mean lower profits as well. You know, a lot of a lot of the growth in Australia in particular, but but a lot of the the Western world has really been driven over the last sort of 10 years by the willingness of people to lend more money and to just keep increasing debt faster than what incomes have increased. And we expect that that will finish at some stage. And, and Australia is the second second most highly geared households on the planet. And we just feel as if the uh, the propensity for people to want to get out there and spend more than what they're making is uh, is going to be gone for a, for a little while while um, you know, and, and until that sort of comes back, uh, we just expect that lower profits and lower demand. For the benefit of people who don't know Nucleus, can you quickly give us an idea of your MO? What's the Nucleus plan of attack when it comes to fund management? Because it's quite structured, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we put every company we've got, we put them on a, on a quantitative scale of quality and a quantitative uh, scale of value. We have the value on the on the y-axis going up and down, and the quality on the on the x-axis. And then we we basically try and buy stuff that what we call is under the curve, so stuff that's high quality and cheap. And it, what it means is we can buy very high quality stocks. We can actually buy them when they're a little bit expensive because we can sort of move up that curve in that direction. If we're looking at average quality stocks, we can only buy them if they're very very cheap. And so we put that discipline around from a quantitative perspective. Then we try and add the fundamental perspective because the problem with quantitative systems is it'll throw out stocks that just don't deserve to be there. That It'll throw out stocks that, that are value traps. And so then we need to come through fundamentally and just make sure that does that actually add up and we, we tend to do it with a very cynical view, saying, well, the model's trying to make me buy this stock. Let me try and find a reason why I shouldn't buy that stock. Now, what about your investable universe, though? You have a very structured investable universe, as I understand as well. Yeah, absolutely. We stick to only large cap stocks. So we do we invest in what's called the, the MSCI World Index, which is the top 1,600 stocks globally, um, which equates to about the top 70 Australian stocks. So it's a very it's a, it's a relatively small universe in terms of the number of stocks. What it is, though, it, it actually represents represents about 80% of the, the total capitalization of the world within that universe. And it's only developed market stocks. And, and then we also stick in Australian government bonds and cash. So our idea is we're trying to run a core portfolio. And that's, that's where the word nucleus came from is saying, we, we see ourselves as being the sort of center part of most people's portfolios where we're only investing in the, the low risk assets, all either blue chip shares or government bonds, very, very liquid. So you're not sort of having to worry about these issues you've seen with some of the, the industry super funds not being able to sell things in and out or, or fund lockups. Everything's all liquid and you can see exactly what's within our portfolios. So everyone, you sort of have full visibility with the idea that then investors can then surround sort of that core portfolio with with whatever they want, you know, whatever they, if they like gold or if they like uh, buying small cap stocks or, or biotechs or whatever their own personal preference is for how you want to get some risk into it. But we see ourselves as doing that sort of core safe sort of more boring part of the portfolio where we could try and protect from downturns like we've just seen so it's really quality stocks bonds and cash absolutely yeah and just very much that low risk we're, we're very happy to sort of try and perform with the market maybe even a little bit below the market as it's rising and then make it all back whenever the market falls final question what's been the reaction of your clients to your csa CS soothing ability to pick the market i mean that's quite an achievement yeah, we've we've had a look. We've never had more clients coming on, so um, lots of referrals from current clients and and lots of clients giving us more money. So yeah, that's always a a, a huge positive for us. So yeah, so we're we're um, yeah, very pleased with uh, with our client reaction uh, to date. Damien, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks a lot.